Welcome to episode four of the Creative Wellbeing Podcast, a series of real and raw conversations supporting the connection with your unique creative voice to inspire a fulfilling and beautiful life. I'm Jess Fitzgibbon, and today we're exploring mindful wealth with Master Certified Behavioral Money Coach, Lee Clothier. Lee works with creatives, freedom seekers, entrepreneurs, and health and wellness professionals to develop the clarity, skills, and confidence to manage money as a tool to create freedom and a life of their design. With a 20-year career in financial services, Lee is an award-winning ex-financial advisor who also holds qualifications in business management, yoga, well-being, mindfulness, and positive psychology, amongst other things. I've been personally working with Lee over the past few years to redefine my relationship with money, unwinding its role in my self-worth, success, and happiness to use it consciously as a resource that supports me to create a fulfilling and purposeful life. If this episode resonates with you today, I invite you to share it with a friend and to leave a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. I'd love for you to sign up to my mailing list at jessicafitzgibbon.com to receive further resources on creative well-being. You can also check out the podcast show notes for links to the mentoring that both Lee and I offer. So enjoy listening. Lee so much for joining me today for the um, Creative Wellbeing Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been such an amazing journey working with you over the last, I think it's been two years now as my, I never know exactly what to call you because um, <laughs> we work on so many different things together. But I think what really struck a chord with me when I was looking for someone to help me with sort of my money mindset was your, the name of your um, business, Mindful Wealth, which I think really just summed up um, the avenue I wanted to go down because money can be such a taboo topic. (laughs) Um, I think we all sort of want to be talking about it, but we have conflicting um, perspectives sometimes. So I thought today would be really cool to dive in on um, some of the work we've been doing together around abundance um, and share that. So maybe we could start off with you um, describing like what's your perspective on money and wealth? Great starting point. Um, you no, know, I think as a society and as individuals, we've got it kind of all mixed up and we've got it a little bit confused in the sense that we use the terms money and wealth interchangeably. Mm. And if we say someone's wealthy, we tend to reference that they have a lot of money. But for me personally, money is an element of wealth. It doesn't constitute wealth in entirety because I think there's a lot of things that money can't buy. And mm. and wealth, to be truly wealthy to me, is when you have an abundance of anything that you truly value. Mm. And that may be money, but it's also more likely health and friendship and things like sunshine and freedom. Mm. And some of those things definitely you know, can be assisted or accumulated through money, but many of them can't as well. Yeah, that's so true. Um, You know, I think when we first started working together, it was really developing that mindset. 
um, and looking at things like values. Um, and I think for me, money in the past, there'd been a lot of fear around it. And I felt money held me back in a lot of ways that I, I couldn't do certain things because I couldn't finance it. I couldn't live a certain way. Um, and when we began looking at that, you actually had a really cool quiz online that told me my money archetype. So maybe if you could start us off by describing like where this archetype framework came from. Um, for me, it was the innocent archetype that I began in. Um, what do you find people when they first approach you to start working with you? Is there a trend with what archetype they're in? And maybe people living creative lives, do you find that they have a, a particular trend with the archetypes? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll go back to sort of where the concept of archetypes comes from mm. first, and then I'll talk about what I see in, in my work predominantly with coaching. But right. initially my background is financial advice and a lot of that is the the how to do money and the, the practical steps that you take um, to make sure that you get ahead with money. But it doesn't actually look at what's going on underneath the surface in our relationship with money. Mm. And when I started to realize that it's all well and good to do the steps, but if we don't align how we're thinking and feeling with those steps, then we're not going to get the right outcomes. So I started to do a little bit of searching around what can I study? Where can I learn about our behavioral psychology and our emotional relationship with money mm. um, and I actually went over to the U.S. and studied with a woman called Deborah Price who was the founder of the Money Coaching Institute Global mm -hmm. and she coined this concept of money archetypes which is loosely based on archetypal work in psychology anyway but it's just with a money lens overlaid to mm -hmm. it and essentially what it tells us is that there are eight different personality types when it comes to money now these aren't our actual personality they're just how we show up and how we tend to sort of have default programming towards how we relate to money itself okay. so it's not who we are but how we interact with money and essentially we all start out as the innocent archetype because the innocent archetype is the one of us who is the beginner and because money is so taboo and because we don't talk about it we're not taught it we don't interact with it in conversation very very often um it remains quite foreign for many of us so mm. it's no wonder a lot of us have the innocent archetype which is really just the beginner archetype mm. in lots of ways but with, to answer your question around creatives mm. uh, there's another archetype called the creator artist which i also see really prevalent which is often just the conflicted archetype the one that has the love-hate relationship with money mm, yeah I think that's a big one for creatives because there's that idea around valuing your work and money can start to feel a bit um I guess dirty and this is where some of the mindsets and beliefs come in in the world like um money is the root of all evil <laughs> or um money you know it, it's a greedy thing and we we often have these beliefs that are um kind of the culture and our parents and our family systems and institutions sort of drill into us. And we, we don't even know the words we're saying half the time with money and how that's affecting our lens. Things like for me, and I still have to pull myself up when I hear these words coming out of my mouth, that I can't afford it is a big one, or, you know, that's too expensive or money comes from hard work. Um, money's always running out. There are a few that I have thought of, or, you know, wealthy people are just lucky or they've sacrificed a lot. Um, so we also 
after sort of looking at the archetypes, worked back through the detailed money story for me to sort of um, look at all of these beliefs. So why do you think it's important that we do look back on our past relationship with money to move forward? So interestingly, our relationship with money as an adult is largely formed in our childhood formative Mm. years, so by the age of about 10. And because we lack that formal education, it means that what we have learned and ingrained in those years and also throughout our lifetime is a mixed bag of emotions, experiences, beliefs, values. And quite often some of them are are our own and many of them are stuff we've just adopted because we've heard it, seen it. We may not even truly believe it, but we've Mm. got it ingrained because we've heard it so many times and it's part of our our, um, narrative or it's a cultural norm. Um, So what What is really important is for us to come back and look at our own relationship with money um, and actually go, is this true for me? Do I actually believe this to be a truth, this belief? Is it actually relevant to me? And if so, I'm going to continue on. And if not, maybe I can replace it with something that's more empowering. Mm. The best way to do that is to go back through that process that you and I did of Mm. going back through our money story and starting to bring up to awareness all of these things, all of these words we say, the actions we take, the habits we've formed, looking at them through the lens of, is this serving me or is this not serving me? Mm. Yeah, for sure. And just going back to the archetypes for a second, where do we want to be aiming? Like once we start becoming out of this innocent archetype, like where do you usually like to see your um, your coaching clients heading towards in terms of archetypes when they're feeling in a place of empowerment around money? So essentially, even though there are eight and all of them have healthy aspects, um, some of them have more sabotaging or unhealthy aspects as well. Mm. But of the eight, there are two that are really empowering when it comes to a relationship with money. And I like to think of it as the combination of the left and the right brain or the mm. more practical and then the more perhaps um, manifesting um, mm. visionary style. So on the left-hand side of the brain, we have the logical, practical, planned, strategic the person who might do budgeting, the person Mm. who might actually have a plan and start working towards it and take the action towards it. And that archetype is known as the warrior, Mm -hmm. the strong one, the balanced one, the resourceful one. Mm. That's the very, when we typically think about money, that kind of logical left brain technical side of us. Mm. But then on the right-hand side, we also need the visionary, the one that holds the purpose for our money. Mm. Why do we even need money in the first place? And what do we want to do with it in our lives? And what kind of life do we want to live? Mm. That archetype is known as the magician. Mm. And often when I'm working with someone, they may have either or or none of those archetypes. So when we work together, it's about working to develop the vision for the purpose for money in your life through the cultivating the magician. And then now that we've got the purpose and the vision, let's actually take the action and create a plan and, and move forward. And that's the archetype of the warrior taking slow but significant steps towards that vision that we're creating. Yeah, for sure. Because I think as well, a lot of the time um, through business, especially um, whether that's we're working within a business or our own business, there's always this mindset of growth, like we need to be growing. But often we don't know why, like where are we growing? Where are we going? And what is this money going to lead to? And I think that's where that vision aspect is so important because we can say, oh, it would be great to 
to be doing a revenue of, you know, X, Y, Z, but then what's that going to mean for us as a business? And it can be the same for individuals too. How do you find navigating that with people with business plans and things like that? I think it's a beautiful concept. It's one of my favorite things to do is to get to the why behind Mm. it. Because often we do things just because we think we should or everyone else is doing it or it's what we've heard you should be doing. So I love the question, why is that important to you? What's Mm. that going to bring to your life? And that's both personally and in business. Mm. And it's getting really laser focused on what kind of reality do I want to create for myself? And I actually get to define all of the things that matter to me. So that might be what is financial success or Mm. what is financial freedom or what is What does productivity mean to me? Mm. We actually get to define all of those things if we take the time to stop and and, and do those exercises. Yeah, that's such a big, such a big thing because I think, like you said, we internalize a lot from the culture or from our childhood of what productivity should mean and what money should mean. And it's so important to stop and um, create your own narrative around those things. Um, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your personal money story and money journey. Absolutely. And I think it's been fundamental in in who I am as a coach because I started in financial planning when I was young. I was 18 and I was working full-time and studying full-time to become a financial planner. And you know, I suddenly started earning all this money and I grew up in a family where I had a perception that money was scarce. It wasn't actually scarce, but my perception was that we couldn't afford things. Mm. And as an adult, looking back now, I realized that my parents were really good at managing money and had some really strong priorities around paying off their mortgage and creating financial freedom, but they didn't communicate that with us when we were children. So all I had heard was we can't afford it or a no. Mm. And and what that created in me was this real fear of I'm not going to have what I want or I can't have what I want. So as soon as I started earning good money, it would slip through my fingers really quickly because I would go out and buy things or I'd just spend it because I wasn't sure when I was going to get more of it. Mm. So my inner child was like, quick, spend it, spend it, get all those things that you want that you may not be able to have. So as I progressed and I started working with lots of other people around their relationship with money, Mm. what really interested me was I knew all the things that I should be doing, but I wasn't actually necessarily applying them towards myself. It's Mm. that whole chef doesn't cook at home, you know, the builder has the worst house, all of that. (laughs) And it wasn't until I was approaching my sort of late 30s that I actually sort of, sorry, late 20s, my early 30s, that I actually had a moment of, wow, I think there's a lot more to do with managing money than just the actions or the knowledge. Mm. It's actually a lot more to do with the psychology piece. And Mm. that's what really spurred me into then starting to look into this path. So as I progressed in my career as a financial advisor, I then sort of took a different journey and realized that if I had all this knowledge in the world and I couldn't apply it to myself, then surely other people would be struggling who didn't have the access to the knowledge that I had. Mm. That really spurred my own journey and it really shifted my own relationship. And I'm a true believer that, you know, in order to teach something or coach something or even just um, mentor someone, Mm. you actually have to have lived it yourself. Mm. I feel like it's more authentic if you can actually talk from experience or you know, I never profess myself to be an expert. I'm not a money expert. Otherwise, I'd be living on some beautiful island, <laughs> not, not working day to day. I would be completely financially free. Yeah. You know, I'm on my path to that, but I'm certainly not there yet. Mm. And what do you think like, is the major difference between 
the financial plan planning work you were doing then and what you've created in your own um, coaching and mentoring now in terms of the philosophy behind it? Yeah, I think where I go and what I, I like to focus on is getting people to really see money for the resource that it is mm. to actually connect with it. So mm. you know, it's, it's a tool that we have in our lives. It's a resource that's an enabler. And you, you mentioned that before when we were talking about what it can bring into your life. Mm. But often we are so disconnected from it. And then when we're disconnected from it, we don't, we lose our power. We're mm. disempowered because it starts to control us. Mm. So my work as a coach is more about let's take back control of this resource and see it for what it really is and then get really clear on what we want this resource to do for us mm. and what we want it to bring into our lives. And that I think is really empowering because it shifts the energy. It shifts the control back into our court mm. and we can start to say, well, hang on, if I want to create the life I want to live, I have everything in my power to do so. Mm. Um, it might take longer. It might not be easy, but we all have the power to create that reality. Mm. And I think that's a big thing I've been sort of saying to people over the last year or so is that I've changed my relationship with money. I now see myself in a relationship with money, um, like I'd be in a relationship with a person. <laughs> because before I think there was so much ambivalence around money and there's a love-hate relationship with it. I'd either um, be joyful and happy when it was with me or resentful towards it when it wasn't. And now I really treat it as if it is a resource and I trust that it will always be there for me. Um, mm -hmm. And it always does show up. And that's something that I often hear people say like, oh, it always works out though. And it's like, yeah, it's funny that, but why can't we trust that, especially with money? There's always that, yeah, the feeling of it slipping through our fingers. And I think that's where, um, you know, that some of the resources you were, you were talking about that you started working with and there, I'm sure you shared a lot of them with me and I'm sure there's still so much more I could be reading, but some of the highlights for me at the beginning of my journey were um, with Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton. And before we go there though, I want to just quickly touch on the meaning of abundance and scarcity, because that's sort of where um, we started and that's where these sort of resources came in handy. So maybe firstly to define what is abundance and what is scarcity in terms of money mindset. Great questions. And I think before we even go there, let's mm. let's go back to why is money so so scary, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so scary because it's highly emotional. It mm. triggers survival in us because we need it to survive we need it to provide a roof over our heads to, to feed us um, we also it triggers our sense of self-worth so it's highly emotional and that's why we get fearful about it that's why we give it a lot of power mm, <laughs> because so we are quite scared of it and because we lack the knowledge and the confidence around it it starts to become bigger and scarier than it actually is mm. but as you know that relationship with a little care and attention can actually be nurtured into something that's really healthy. And I talk often to people around the concept, and I love that you brought it up, that we are in a relationship for life mm. with me and just as we are with our health as well, it's equally as important. And if we're not quite sure how we're relating to money at the moment, I often think, and I like the analogy of just consider that money were a person, mm. either Mr. Money or Miss Money, and just think about if you had to describe your relationship right now, what would it be like? Would you guys be best friends? Would you be showing up for each other? Um, is there trust? Are you open? Um, or is it fearful and controlling? Um, 
And once we start to shift that dynamic and think about it in that context, that's where we can start to see where we need to build that relationship. So if the trust is missing, obviously we need to start putting more trust into that relationship. Mm. Because I think we do often outsource a lot of our, um, like we, like the bank or we, we've often outsourced the people who are caretaking our money. And we often do that with our health too. Like you mentioned health, then like we're going to the doctors and we're getting all this advice, but at the end of the day, we need to have the main relationship with our health or with our money and to be in the driver's seat, being able to feel confident to be making the decisions for ourselves with, you know, all of the resources that we have around us to have the discernment skills then to choose what's best for us, because there is so much information out there. And I guess it's also learning to feel within your body and your mind as well. Like, does this feel right for me, this advice or this um, perspective on money? Absolutely. And I I love that you brought that up because there are those three elements. There's always going to be the logic to a situation. Mm. There's going to be the heart space, the emotion to it. Mm. And then there's going to be the intuition. Mm. And often when it comes to money, we just use one of those things and Mm. not all three of those things. Mm. And then we make either decisions we regret or decisions that aren't in alignment with who we really are or what we really want. Like we Mm. might make a decision purely based on the money side of things, Mm. but then our heart's not in it or we feel dissatisfied because we're on a different path. Mm. So having alignment in those three areas of our intuition, our emotions and our, our logic helps us make better decisions, be more discerning with money. But again, it's something that we're not taught. So it's a skill that we have to learn. And and the body always holds that wisdom within Mm. us um, as to where we should be going and what we should be doing with our money. Mm, So true. Yeah. So if we want to keep going now in terms of um, talking about abundance and scarcity, mm-hmm. do you want to um, talk a little bit about those words? We, we hear them a lot. They can be a bit of a buzzword sometimes. And I think sometimes um, it's good to just, and give your definition, obviously everyone will have a different relationship with those words. Yeah, I they are buzzwords, but they're also great words because mm-hmm. they show us, they give us so much insight. So for me, abundance is is plenty. It's Mm -hmm. when we have plenty of something. And we need to be careful when we talk about, I want abundance. Mm -hmm. Abundance of what? Because we can get abundance of problems (laughs) and abundance of of more specific. So we need Mm -hmm. to be specific about what it is that we're seeking plenty of. Mm -hmm. And that's surplus to maybe what our needs are, more into what our wants and desires are. Mm -hmm. When we face scarcity, it's definitely lack. It's a lack Mm -hmm. mentality. It means that we close the mindset a little bit and we it limits us. So we may miss opportunities. We may not see the abundance or the, or the plentifulness around us because mm. we're so focused on what we don't have versus what we do have. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then in terms of shifting our mindset away from the scarcity mentality, um, I mentioned a couple of names before, Dr. Joe Dispenza and Dr. Bruce Lipton, who have done a lot of scientific research around sometimes what can be considered the more woo-woo ideas of the secret and things like that with the law of attraction. They are sort of backing up all of that more spiritual side of things with the cold hard facts now, um, which is always a good place to start for the skeptics. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. maybe talk a little bit about their work and how this applies to money and creating our lives in terms of shifting our mindsets from the, the subconscious, because often um, where we're working or we're living 95% of the time in our unconscious. 
it's such fascinating work. And once you sort of go into this, it's like a little rabbit hole. Mm. <laughs> you just go deeper and deeper. And, and I definitely love their work because of the scientific nature of it. Mm. And you know I work in talking about abundance and manifestation and I love the woo-woo, mm. but I also absolutely need the science to back it up for me to truly believe in it. So when I discovered Dr. Bruce Lipton and Dr. Joe Dispenza, I was really excited because their work gives concrete evidence to what I've heard in a lot of ways, like you mentioned, the secret and the law of attraction and all of that stuff. Mm. But essentially what they tell us in a premise is that we create our reality and by that, we mean that what we believe, we see. Mm. And then what we see, we kind of act on that. And that's how we, and we repeat things because we're creatures of habit and our brains work, as you said, 90% of what we do is on the subconscious. Mm. And that's to make our lives easier. And that's how we can drive a car without thinking too much about it. That's why we kind of do the same things and get the same results because we are repeating patterns that we've created and thought patterns along the time. Mm. So what they do is they bring the unconscious or the subconscious up to the conscious awareness. And once we can see something, we can then change it if we want to change it. So we can rewire our neural pathways to create a different outcome or a different habit or behavior. Mm. Um, it's fascinating work it's our brains are super powerful and when we think about something like let's say that we're very scarcity minds mindset mm. and we just see lack everywhere we go lack of opportunity lack of money lack of lack of everything and mm. with that's our default programming then our brain is sending a message constantly just saying look for lack look for lack just see that there's no abundance around so we seek out to confirm the bias that the world is lacking. Everything's lacking. Yeah. And that suddenly we that's all we see. No opportunities, no money, you know, no friends, no this, no that. And it's so interesting because it's like when you're going to buy a car mm. and you choose the car that you want to buy, suddenly you see it everywhere. Mm. Right. Yeah. And that's that confirmation kind of bias that the brain looks for evidence to help filter in more of what we've told it it needs to bring into our lives mm. so suddenly if we're saying okay well I'm, I'm going to move from lack into abundance then suddenly we're going to start looking for abundance as evidence to help us bring more of that into our lives it's a very simplistic way of describing it and it, it probably could be could have been done a lot better <laughs> no you did a great job and I'll add some um some resources in the show notes with some YouTube links and books if people want to check it out further because it's it's a massive topic <laughs> it's a huge topic and it's yeah. fascinating but I think it's really what it, what it really talks about it fundamentally is we can't shift what we're not aware of. Mm. So first of all, we need to bring the unconscious to the conscious. And then when we're conscious of it, we can choose whether we want to keep it or rewire it. Mm. And that's where their work is really powerful. They can help you rewire what what is no longer positive for you. Mm. I think that's like the word that's really sticking out there for me too is choose because I think a lot of the time we spend a lot of time focused on what we don't like in our lives, what we don't want. And there's a real shift when you start to create and have that visionary approach of what do I want? Um, and what I started to do was gratitude practice around um, things I wanted, pretending as if I already had them and bringing that feeling into my body of I already have this. And now we'll go a little, you know, embrace the woo a little bit. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, I, I did a little experiment last year where which we worked on together um, where you just said, well, 
write a list of things that you want and put a financial cost next to everything. And in the past, I wouldn't have put the cost there because I was too scared to do that because I knew it would add up to some ridiculous amount of money. And then I'd talk myself out of it. But I did, you know, what you you asked me to do. Um, things like, you know, my music production course, um, you know, my coaching sessions and travel, etc. like educational things, the list added up to $70,000. And I also, you recommended I put a date there. So I said, okay, let's in three months, because that's actually when I needed or wanted a lot of this stuff. And then I started um, each day writing in my journal, like I'm so grateful to be enrolled in this music production course, which, you know, is so exciting. I'm getting to write the music I love and started practicing um, gratitude on all of these things as if they were a reality. And lo and behold, like they did all manifest. Um, So maybe talk a little bit about manifesting and magnetizing and how we can work that into our lives as a practice. Yeah, it's a beautiful practice when we learn it and we start to implement it. And manifestation to me is about focused awareness. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like having a map in front of us and actually pinpointing the destination, the journey that we want to go to. It doesn't mean that we're going to take that one specific path to get to that destination, but it means that we're focused now. Mm. And that's where our energy and our brain and all of our thoughts and habits and behaviors can start to be directed towards. Mm. When we don't have that focus, we're all over the place. We're we're everywhere. So it's no wonder because our brains are like supercomputers Mm. (laughs) and we can, we can achieve anything we set our minds to if we have the focus and we have a plan and we take the action. But it's just an amazing method for us to actually start to tap into the expansive power of of consciousness in our, our brains mm. and see that we can achieve many amazing things if we support ourselves. Absolutely. And the thing I had to learn too with this was I, I didn't know the how, and that was very difficult for me because I was like, well, how am I going to get $70,000? Like that's where in my past I'd always been focused on like what actions need to be taken to, to make this happen. So there is a, there is an element to that. There's also a surrender involved in, I know the what, and there is a matter of trust in um, the how, what do you think about that? I absolutely agree. And that's where I think, say the law of attraction is, is kind of misunderstood because the Mm. law of attraction is about manifestation, Mm. but it's not about I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to wait for a check to appear in my mailbox or I'm just going to win the lotto, right? Mm. It doesn't work like that. And that's where that alignment comes back to it. And it's about aligning, you know, the actions with the thoughts or the beliefs and then the emotions. So the emotions piece is the gratitude practice that you were doing, Mm. creating positive emotions. The belief systems are, I'm, I'm, I can do this. This is what I want to create. I'm going to create abundance. And then the action is what a lot of people miss. We actually need to take the steps to support ourselves. Mm. We don't have to know exactly every single step, but we need to be taking action. And a lot of people don't. They miss one or all of those steps and mm. then just hope that they're going to manifest whatever it is that they want to create. Yeah. And with the action piece, I think it's a lot of the time we're waiting to be ready. So for example, with the music production course, I was waiting for the money to arrive where I didn't need to do that. I could set up the interview. 
I could book in, I could create a payment plan with them. I could put some money down to begin with. And as I started to take those small actions, which felt like I wasn't ready for them, that's sort of what all brought it into place because I was then entirely committed. I'd put down a deposit and I didn't have much of a choice. I had to find the rest of the money and it all just worked. It does, doesn't it? It's amazing what we can afford and what we can do when we're committed to it. And that's that's ultimately why a lot of people say to me, I can't afford something. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I, you know, I say this to you all the time. Mm-hmm. I have an issue with that, that mm-hmm. sentence. I mm-hmm. can't afford it's really, is it, or is it, you do, it's not a priority for mm-hmm. you right now. Yeah. And I'm not talking about people who can't afford to make ends meet. That's a different mm-hmm. story. We're talking about the use of discretionary income mm-hmm. to, to do the things that you want to do above meeting your cost of living. Mm-hmm. There is always a way to afford the things, i.e. make them a priority if Mm. you truly want it to happen. Mm, Absolutely. Um, And it's funny because thinking back on that exercise, it's like, why why don't I do that like every week (laughs) in terms of writing down my list? And and I think we we kind of upgrade. So we we sort of do the things we want and then a whole nother you know, horizon appears and it's like, okay, well, what's next? And for me right now, it's okay. I want to now do my music production course. I now want to start working on an EP and I'm going to have to pay a producer and a recording studio and, you know, writing that list again. And there is a, I think what the hesitation comes from is this deservingness of things of, do I deserve that? And sometimes even if it was like, oh, I want to go on a holiday to Europe for, for eight weeks, it's like, but can I do that right now? Like, shouldn't I be doing this instead? And there's this, yeah, that that sort of self-worth piece comes in. Um, So how do we sort of learn to accept our desires instead of rejecting them all the time? Interesting one. (laughs) Interesting question, you know, and I'm studying Buddhism as well, Mm -hmm. Buddhism philosophy, and Mm -hmm. I... I, I find it really interesting because they talk about desires being not necessarily the healthiest thing or the mm. best thing, but I think desire is healthy in the sense that it can help us move towards growth mm. and it can help us move towards things that bring us happiness and feelings of abundance. Um, you know, desire for material things is different, mm. but um, desire for expansion and to do the things we really want to do in life, I think is really healthy and mm. deservability is something that we all, um, you know, it's, it's either within us or it's not. And it, mm. again, it comes from childhood. And I also had a lot of patterning around I don't deserve it, um, mm. you know, deserve success or deserve um, happiness in relationships or deserve whatever the narrative is that we have until we start to look at it and see why do I think I don't deserve it mm. and see whether we can unpick that. Is it rational? Probably not. Is it logical? Probably mm. not. Yeah. Um, but just because we know something doesn't mean that it makes it easy. And the thing about money, as you know, and you and I have been working together for a while, is mm. it's a constant practice. Mm. And we work through one aspect of our relationship with it, whether it be abundance or scarcity or deservability or, um, you know, love-hate relationship, confliction. Mm. And then the next one pops up. Mm, like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> the next sort of level, as you said, the next level up. Mm. And it's a lifelong relationship. So as we go through life and as our desires, our expectations, our relationships change to ourselves and with others, then it's going to change as well. So it's a constant mm. practice. And I don't think there's ever anything as an expert in money because yeah. 
to be an expert in money, you actually just have to be an expert in yourself, managing who you are, what you want, your emotions, your habits, your behaviors. So if you're an expert in doing all of that, then uh, wow, I've got a thing or two to learn. I think think as well, like with money um, and with this relationship and the whole leveling up thing, I just wanted to clarify, I'm not talking about like leveling up in terms of, okay, now I'm going to get a bigger, better house or a bigger, better car or, you know, upgrade my life in that sort of materialistic sense. Even though if something's really important to you, if you absolutely love cars, like allow yourself to enjoy that, if that's really important to you. But I think sometimes the further you go down this money road, the more you realize there's a sense of contentment that that comes from the simpler things in life. And like what we were talking about at the beginning, your sense of wealth and the abundance of wealth in your life come from, you know, a beautiful walk in nature. And I look, when I go for a walk, I'm just like, there's nothing more glorious than this. Like how can money buy anything better than the ocean or (laughs) the sunset, you know? Um, So it's funny. You actually, sometimes you're, um, your expectations or your desires become even simpler the more you kind of go down this road. I absolutely agree with you. I think it's because you get the clarity that comes with understanding and understanding what money really is and what it can and can't do for you. Mm. If we don't have that clarity. We think it can bring all of those things to our lives mm. when in actual fact we give it too many jobs. It's not its role. Its only role in our life is as a facilitator mm. to exchange goods and services in our lives (laughs) we give it all of these jobs around but it must bring me happiness and it must make me feel successful and it must make me feel worthy and you know it's it's almost unfair to money that we give it all these roles Mm -hmm. Um, then we wonder why we feel so complicated with it why and and nervous around it because Mm -hmm. we've given it all these jobs in our lives yeah and I think there's another thing like with the transactional side of things which it is you know like you said you're trading essentially we also start to learn you don't often always need to be trading with money. You can be trading in other ways in life. Like for example, at the moment I've decided to house it. So I'm able to live rent free and I'm trading my time and energy looking after people's pets. And that's another way of being able to afford to travel sort of thing. Yeah. And that's a beautiful way of looking at it. And that's the abundance mindset is seeing mm. the opportunities, mm. seeing that there are so many different ways of doing things. Yeah. Don't always have to go to what is the standard, what our default programming is. We exchange mm. money. Okay. That's our default programming, mm. but what else could we do? Yeah. And I think there's always so much more possibility than we give credit for. Mm. And I think what money, what to me, what money can facilitate and what I, I do value it for is it can create time, not mm. buying more time, but it can free up our time to do those things we actually enjoy doing. Yeah, that's such a big one. Um, and speaking of time, artists, like I feel are one of the main, um, well, I am an artist, so I'm speaking bias, but I feel that for, for artists, time is so important. And there's always like a trade-off sometimes with, oh, I have to work, you know, to pay the bills, but then I don't have time to do my art. And um, I know a lot of people are juggling if it's not art, like a side hustle or a passion that they really want to spend more time on. Um, But I really want to debunk the starving artist story (laughs) (laughs) because it's been around my entire life. I've fallen into that trap 
many times making decisions from a fear place that, yeah. oh, I can't support myself being a musician and a writer um, because you have to be lucky or, you know, whatever, like right place, right time. So, you know, it's an, it's another one of these myths. There's so many of them, like the rich get rich and the poor get poorer. They're just cultural narratives. Um, but I think especially with art, it can be such a wealthy industry. And when I say wealthy, not just monetarily, but in terms of lifestyle. So why do you think the the art and creativity industry especially fall in like prey to this cultural narrative? And how do you sort of help people? Because um, I know you work with a lot of creatives, find mm. a way away from that sort of myth. It is, it is a, a myth that is so prevalent. And I would say most artists or creatives um, or even spiritual people that I work with mm. have a, a, a myth or belief system that is around the starving artist. Mm. It's all that I can do my art or be creative or be spiritual, or I can have money. I can't mm. have both. And there is, a, it's sort of not our, our fault that we get this conditioning where there's mm. a lot of archetypes out there on the movies we watch and the stories we hear and the mm-hmm. books we read around this concept that I can't do what I love and make money. And I, I really don't like that either or compromise mm-hmm. kind of thinking. I'm a big believer we can and make money. I can follow my purpose and make money. I can create art and make money. And mm-hmm. again, it's about re- shifting that belief system. So it's about questioning the belief to say, is that true? yes or no, Mm. and then looking for evidence to the contrary, right? So we need to support the brain and our belief systems with something that disproves this belief system that we've, this narrative that we've bought into. So Mm. we need to look for examples of Mm. people who are doing what they love, following their passion, whether it's art, creativity, spirituality, whatever it is, who are also wealthy, Mm. because then we have evidence to the contrary. And then we can actually tell our brains and repeat the messages, rewire that pattern to say, ah, but look, there's evidence that says that's not true. Mm. So we can start to create a new belief system, a new pattern in in, in our neural pathways to help us ingrain the fact that it doesn't have to be a compromise. We can have both. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think those role models really, really help um, because, yeah, like you sometimes find yourself surrounded by people who have the same mentality as you yes. <laughs> and then you start sort of, um, you know, shifting and trying to find people that are leading by example, living the life you want to live. And then you start to collect more people like that and see more of that in the world. And that's when, yeah, your brain really starts to, like you said, prove the myth wrong. Um, But I think a big issue people have, and it's not just creatives and artists, like anyone sort of running their own business and also people who are employees, it's this having to put a monetary value on oneself in terms of what is my time worth or what, what is my work worth? Um, And often we don't realize that we hold all of the power to that. (laughs) We often get told, well, this is the salary or this is what I want to pay you. And we often give our power away in letting people dictate to us what we're worth. Um, Do you have any advice for people around how to go about putting, you know, a value on their service or their work? I think there's a big process to go through. Um, it's, It's a lot of the work that I do with my clients is that I'm picking the value that we have placed on it and seeing why we're placing that specific value Mm. on it. And often it's usually an emotional reason. Mm. Um, 
And it could be fear of success, fear of failure, fear of stepping outside a comfort zone or being seen as being too greedy or there's a lot of perception that we put on it. And then we start to judge ourselves around Mm. it as well. So it's unpicking it from a logical side, but also an emotional side. And then looking for the value in terms of what is the tangible value and the intangible value that I'm providing here, Mm. no matter what you're doing. And the the tangible stuff, the, the outcome, the physical thing, that's easier to price than the intangible stuff. So when it comes to art, it might be what's the feeling that it evokes or what's, um, you know, how beautiful is it? You, know, you can't really price that. That's mm, the piece that's where you, you have full creative license to work out what it is that you feel. And again, when I said, when I said that, I said what it is you feel mm. about pricing because it's not often a thought that comes to our pricing. It's usually we price based on our feelings. Mm. So Working with someone who's probably a little bit more objective, who Mm. can help you detach from the feelings of worth and deserving and putting Mm. myself out there, fear, um, and actually helping you price it from more of a logical and an emotive basis. Mm, That's a really good point because it is a hard job to do alone. (laughs) It is. It is. And you're putting it, especially when it's something you love and you've put your heart and soul into it, no matter what it is, um, Mm. it could be really hard to put a price on that. Yeah, 100%. Wow. Well, we've covered so much and there's so many amazing, um, I think, gems of wisdom there for people to take away and to start practicing. But I'd love to hear, um, you know, what you're creating right now. I'll share your um, details in the show notes if anyone is interested in the Mindful Wealth Coaching that I've been doing very successfully and thank you so much over the last few years but yeah what are you creating at the moment that you're really excited about I'm always creating Mm. (laughs) I'm I'm very creative at heart but what I'm most excited about at the moment is my book that I'm Mm. writing and it's really starting to come together so it's it's not the title that I'm 100% sold on yet, but it's going to be about creating conscious wealth. And when I mean conscious, it's about exploring the dark and the light side of wealth and mm. and our relationship to it. And um, it's been coming for many years. And I think having worked with literally thousands of clients and spoken to so many people about their relationship with money, I finally feel like I've got enough to share with the world. Um, so that's sort of really starting to come to life now. And that's that's what's got me most excited. Amazing. I cannot wait to read it. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Lee. It's just been such a pleasure to speak to you today. And to you. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely.